ASI. This is episode number one of season five, the live recorded podcast event at Serve Seattle Chapel. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to get through this thing called life. Electric word, life, it means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you, there's something else. My guest today, Seth Taylor. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun. Day or night. One of the drives of this podcast is the fact that people tune in, so to speak, to see some relief, to gain some knowledge and some hope over unwanted, compulsive sexual behavior. And change or transformation takes place in leaps of faith. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, Dr. Everything will be all right. Well, and that is that is why the measure of truth has to be an experience exactly. of freedom. It and has that's, to be. That's right. Be. It can, and we can't sit around. And, and this is the church is in a great mystical wrestling match right now. Because it is. The mystics have been saying for thousands of years going, our only actual authentic authority is experience. Experience. That's we have right. to be able to experience it. So the Bible becomes something to, to that is actually a reading into that experience. Yeah. And hearing somebody else do it, you, it's, that's all you need. If, you, if one person has done it, if anyone in the whole world has ever been transformed, that means we all can be. Right. Unless we're just going to do what a lot of religious people do, which is deny those stories. You know, it's like you and I were talking about this earlier on, right? You hear something outside of your framework, and your something in your body says, I either have to shut that off, shut it down, or I have to open myself up to it. And if it's outside of my framework, the implications it has for me can trigger all kinds of stuff. Yeah. It can open up a Pandora's box inside of me, which is what transformation is really meant to be. On the turning away From the pale and downtrodden And the words they say which we won't understand Don't accept that what's happening Is just a case of all the suffering There's some uh, Pink Floyd and Prince for you there, our dearly departed one. Um, 
brother in the realm of having sexual integrity issues, Prince. This show, uh, again, I have to apologize for the audio content. I had to cut a bunch out because I didn't record this on a computer. I recorded it on my little audio device where I couldn't see the levels. So it took me for freaking ever to keep turning up the levels, turning up the levels to make this so you could actually hear it. Um, so it is what it is, right? Uh, you'll hear other errors in our judgment throughout. Um, anyway, what I wanted to say before I kick off this, uh, interview with Seth Taylor, this is going to be the final season of the ASI podcast, season five. I know. I know. It'll be okay, though. I don't know how long it's going to go. I do want to interview some more authors. If there's great works in the area of sexual integrity, sexual addiction, I want to keep posting that stuff on this feed. There is a secondary feed, though. Uh, The ASI podcast is going to have a little uh, show. It's called Shortcuts, right? Not just cuts. There is some of that on this podcast. It's a separate podcast feed from this one, but it's a way where I can do short pieces that I can post really quickly. So if you want to subscribe to that, just search for um, my name, Russ Shaw, or shortcuts or porn addiction in your iTunes Uh, feed or however else you search for podcasts, whether it's Stitcher Radio, TuneIn. I'm not sure if I'm on TuneIn yet with that podcast, but I will be soon. Or, of course, I'll be providing links to that on the ASI website, asi247.org. So be looking for that. Um, Another quick announcement. This will be the last podcast until July 4th. 2016. So if you're listening to this and you're a subscriber, uh, that's what's going on. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please subscribe. You're not going to want to miss what's going to happen in season five. There's going to be some great stuff going on as well as in the fall. Sometime in the fall, I plan on starting a new podcast. It's I'm kicking around the idea of PVPM. As a title, pre-vintage postmodern is the the way that I'm going to approach this. The reason being is that I don't talk about sex that much on this show. That sexual addiction is um, a symptom of a, a deeper issue. My friend Seth Taylor here refers to addiction as a kind of unconscious suffering. The university, Yale University, has a website called the Stress, Self-Control, and Addiction Consortium. Stress, life events, the power of the situations that we go through create in us this storm of emotions that can lead to depression, anxiety, We treat these things with substances. We try and numb out. It's just life, man. How we worship. That's part of the drive of this next podcast. Realizing what real spiritual transformation really is. Getting into some of the thinking of the ancients as it applies to not just modern day psychology, but well-being, what churches are doing, what spiritual avenues are creating this kind of mindful well-being and people seeing real transformation and real growth in their lives. I'm really interested in these topics. So deviating from some of the sexual addiction is what PVPM is going to be about, as well as some humor as well, because, uh, I find humor in a lot of things, and some people may find that, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable, weird, shallow. I don't. I think we need to bring some sobriety to some of the hurts and the pains, some light to it, and not be so uh, defensive and uh, about it, all right? So anyway, that's that, putting that down. Um, 
the next podcast you hear will be after the 4th of July, Independence Day, right? Freedom in my country. We celebrate the independence of our country. My ancestors, a guy named Patrick Henry, who said, give me liberty or give me death, all right? So that's kind of a personal holiday for me, not just as a recovered addict, but as a American, right? America. Um, freedom isn't free. And that's the truth. So I'm going to take a little break from this show, do some reflection, some meditation. And after July 4th, you will hear episode two of season five. But please stay, stay subscribed. Um, I, I'd love to have you as a subscriber. I'd love to have you as a co-producer. If you'd like to check out how to do that, how to give to the show, financially support this podcast ASI247.org is the website. Click on the Give button or the link to how to be a co-producer to help um, advance this message. Love you guys. Here we go. After this bumper, getting right into my conversation with Mr. Seth Taylor at Serve Seattle headquarters in the chapel. No more turning away. We are recording. Check, check. So this is uh, this is the live event, and uh, that we obviously didn't promote well enough. We didn't promote it very well. Now <laughs> we, we need to. Really I hang up a bunch of flyers at the colleges like a day or two days before the event. Yeah, but you know, college students have a short attention span, so there was some thinking behind that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, ASI two four seven dot org. This is the live event here at Serve Seattle. We're in front of a live studio. This isn't a studio. No, it's kind of echoing. It's a hundred-year-old chapel. We're in a hundred-year-old chapel in a old monastery, yeah. and it's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's pretty surreal. Yeah, uh, one US. person showed up. My friend Chuck, and uh, that's that's what the, the crowd that we're speaking in front of. So, and the, your audience is like, oh, <laughs> right? Hurting They're hurting for us. They're going, me, Seth Taylor. And I could make all the excuses in the world, but one of the things about this podcast is the fact that um, people don't want to admit they listen to it. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. Uh, it's, it's one of those things, and, and I'm cool with the fact that the next season I want to reach people in that dark space. And maybe this is sort of a theme to... The, the silent masses that listen to this podcast <laughs> and, and what yeah, and what it looks like to to invade that that space of I, I don't want people to know this about me right. and that's okay and uh, I haven't even kicked this thing off yet I'm just going for it I'm kind of reacting to the fact that nobody showed up except for Chuck my friend Chuck showed up Thanks, Chuck's for, here. Thanks for coming, Chuck. I appreciate you, man. Yeah, Chuck in the room. Not Pastor Chuck. We're gonna get Pastor Chuck in trouble. Are you? You're a pastor? No. no. Oh. oh <laughs> there's, there's a Pastor Chuck, and that's where I met Chuck. Uh, so, and uh, it's funny. I went to SPU. I'm hanging up flyers, and the women, like, because I had to get it approved. Like, you yeah. have to get each fly. They stamp them, and they go, "You can hang them here, and you can hang them there," and so. I did that, and hopefully there would be some fruit from that, too. Yeah. Like, people might not come to this thing because, oh, what are you doing Friday night? I'm going to a podcast about sexual addiction. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're not going to tell your friends that. Well, Let's tweet that. You know, it's funny, too, because I, I remember when I, we first talked about doing this, I was like, oh, on a Friday night in May, mid-May, it's yeah. probably raining. Like, we didn't expect 80 degrees, yeah. you know. <laughs> and then tomorrow is supposed to be cloudy and nasty, and then Sunday is supposed to rain. So this is the last nice day. See, we're making some pretty reasonable arguments while nobody showed up for our thing, yeah. my thing. 
But you're my, you're my guest. You were supposed to be the draw. I'm the, I was. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> well, I even handed a flyer to the, uh, the, the uh, philosophy and theology. No. Oh, Seattle School? Yeah, the Seattle School. You went to Seattle School. I did. Yeah, yeah. It's a great school. The School uh, of uh, Psychology and Theology. It used to be, <laughs> it used to be Mars Hill. They changed the name, but I like. Well, the at name. the time, at the time when we changed the name, because I was, I started school at Mars Hill Graduate School. We oh, changed wow. it. it wasn't because of a negative stigma. It was more because the brand was dead. I see. You know, because everyone's like associating our theology with their theology. They just they cornered the market. Mars Hill in this area is associated with a certain way of thinking. So everyone thought that Mars Hill Graduate School was a part of Mars Hill yeah, Church. That exactly. makes sense. A lot of people. I mean, I had friends that were pissed at me for going how could you go how could you associate yourself with that and i'm like you don't know no, 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 you don't understand right and we had a marcel we had a marcel branch like a block away from our school so you ever read the book of acts like there's this thing in the book of acts where this guy named paul goes to this place and in the book of the bible the bible it's yeah. this place it's called mars hill yeah. it's not actually a church in seattle yeah. Or actually, or Rob Bell's church, Rob Bell. Rob, Rob Bell, his old as, church over in was Michigan. Mars Hill as well. I actually have a, a a rock. My brother went to Mars Hill, and I think it's in Turkey, isn't it? Or is it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He went there, and he he brought me a rock from Mars Hill. From Mars Hill, where? Yeah, wow. cool. That is awesome. Yeah, you know the whole story behind Mars Hill. You know, do you know why why Mars Hill was why the statue of the unknown god existed? Yeah, yeah. because Paul was addressing that crowd. At Mars Hill, and he was invited to spot. That's another cool thing about it, and I think that's what they talked about when I went to Mars Hill. And it's sort of like doing this here in this place in in Seattle, in Capitol Hill. Um, it's going to a place that's not necessarily Christian, yeah. but this guy had something to say. He's he's changing hearts and minds, so let's hear him out, right. kind of a thing, right? right? Well, and he points to this unknown god like he's and he, and he bible even says that like he's walking by all these idols and he's he feels anger rising in him towards the idolatry yet yeah. see that one let's talk about that one yeah. the unknown god you know why that statue was there though hmm. about 600 years this is fascinating and this is there's a couple kind of variations of the legend but about 600 years before that moment when paul was standing there the city had had a plague. There had been a plague across the city that was killing people like crazy. So, of course, they start sacrificing to the different gods. We've got to figure out which god's kind of dealing with right. this. Right. Which god do we piss off? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which god do we piss off? <laughs> right. So they're trying to figure it out, but nothing's changing it. So, so the priest in the city basically comes up with this theory. He just says, it's obvious that there's a god we don't know about, you know, that, we, that you know, is in charge of this whole thing. So they start sacrificing to – they do this little ritual where they're like – Okay, we're going to put a bunch of goats on a hill, and, and if they, the goats move over to this side of the hill, then there's a God that we don't know about that we need to be praying to. And, and if they go to this side of the hill, then you know, there's, we're, we're, just, we're supposed to die or something like that. Right. And, of course, the goats all go to the left, and so they start praying to the unknown God. There's a God we don't know about, and then the plague ends. Wow. So they erect a statue to the unknown God. <laughs> and I, so some readings of that is when Paul was saying, no, no, I know. Yeah, God, that's the God. That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. It wasn't just some clever little, you know, flanograph kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. 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 Fascinating. So in that, you know, you, when you were saying that, it had me thinking about how this city has, you know, you and I being Christians and, and what that means and, and that word. Uh, we, Seth and I were having this talk, and he was saying that, because uh, I, I, I almost have issues with even calling myself a Christian. Mm-hmm. And you were like, well, why don't we take that word back? Yeah. Because the, you know, the, the Donald Trump supporters of the world, see, there I went political. I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> but, you know, the people, I won't use that, because God knows who, who the hell this man is anyway, Donald Trump. You know, I mean, he seems to change like the weather. Um, but the people that have the furrowed brow and that build walls and point fingers and scare, you know, uh, Matthew 21 talks about you slam the door. This is one that was a, a piece of the Bible that was really um, impacted me in coming back to my faith. Mm. was a pastor read this to me. He was really patient with me. See, I pop my peas. You hear that? I'm pee popping. I need a screen. The screen, yeah. yeah. 
And uh, so he says, uh, he says, you, you know, you slam the door in the face of people that are looking for the truth. When when those guys are praying, trying to figure out which God they're trying to appease, and the real God shows up, those cats try to close the door on God, right? Because it doesn't fit in their box. Yeah. And they're so busy doing border patrol around what people should and ought to believe that people don't get help. And that's, and that's what, you know, we were walking, Seth and I walked down and had some dinner and uh i was telling him about we were we were like we feel weird because we're the guys we're trying to change the world or something you know there's that weird thing in us like we're those guys and and the thing in me was and i've always i've approached it since my kind of re coming back to my faith is that uh, i why didn't someone tell me this the part that freed me you know the part that showed me the door. Why was people trying to keep that door shut? And it pisses me off. And that's part of why I do this podcast. That's why I I feel honored to be invited into those spaces where people listen in the dark because they're afraid and because they don't know why they're out of control. Um, that's rock bottom for me. Rock bottom was... Feeling so alone and not having someone to talk to and not having even language for it because I, I, I would just, it was just running in my head all the time, you know, trying to find out why I was stuck, why I was adrift, why, not just my porn habit, but the fact that that thing controlled me and I didn't control it. And that freaked me out. It wasn't a should not to. It wasn't about religion. It wasn't about I was pissing God off. I got to the point where I just figured I was going to hell anyway. That was another rock bottom for me. Um, being invited into a church. My grandmother. So I was on drugs and lost my job. And I would go and mow the lawn at my grandmother's. And she, would, she made me go to church with her one night because some young Calvinist guy was speaking. And I'm sitting there. I'm still a little drunk from the night before. I was with uh, two women that night. I'd slept with two girls, not at the same time, mind you, but at the same party or something. It was just, I mean, you talk about just the level of of sin and debauchery that I was in, you know, uh, sitting there, the hair and and the whole thing, and, and this guy starts talking about predestination and how some people are going to make it and some people aren't. And I had this rock bottom uh-oh moment going, oh, like I was never predestined. Like I was never going to heaven anyway. Like that makes a lot of sense to me actually. And it was dark, but it was a, it was a rock bottom moment in that space that this guy who was invited into a church to talk about the gospel actually convinced me that God didn't love me, you know? That was not just a rock-bottom thing for me, but a rock-bottom thing for that church and, and for people like myself. And I, and I haven't met a lot of Christians like me, you know? I haven't met, I mean, Leo, my friend Leo, uh, was one of those guys, but there's... There is few and far between as far as Christians that have been through drug addiction and um, all of that to to still believe in Jesus and still be in a church speaking to. So I don't know why I'm rambling about that, but that's that's another rock bottom thing for me. And I've told that story before, but if you when you put it in the realm of rock bottom, I can attach mile markers to it. And I can point back to it as a place where I came from there to here, and that's good. So there was something good in that place. But I, I want to I want to hear from you, Seth Taylor, my honored guest. And we were going to talk about I had interviewed you uh, a while back at the end of season four of the podcast.
I mean, that's where you can have one guy, even a street preacher on a corner. I'm not going to judge the guy. You know, he's up there going, oh, there's some this fire inside of me. I'm not going to do this. And he might be doing it in ways that are doing damage or whatever. But I go, but from the level of consciousness he exists at, something's on fire inside of him. Right. And the question is, can where he's at, can he have the courage and the curiosity to continue to grow so that it, what the world experiences is more and more and more love, you know? Yeah. And so, that, Seth, is where maybe, just maybe, you would be a Christian mystic evangelical. Okay, okay, check this out. So what we're talking about is is the gospel. Now the gospel, here's a word that's tossed around Christianity with a loose definition. Um, but really, if you trace it back to the first time that word is used, it's used as like, okay, there's a guy on a horse. He's riding up to this this you know, castle or this city or this village that's got big walls all around it and they're ready for an army of a thousand people to come and kill them, slaughter them. They're ready for a war. And this dude rides up in a horse and goes, uh, war's over. No one's coming. We're all good. And he rides away. That's the first time that that word, so gospel means good news. This man on this horse brings this very good news to this village. And for me, that is, that is who Jesus is. That is who the gospel of Jesus Christ, this Trinitarian God that we love, that we share it with the world, you know, yeah. uh, that our religion is better than everyone else. But in my language, I would say all religion is just pain and shame and garbage. Religion, I mean, the religious pe- people killed Jesus. Uh, that's, they're the villains of the story. It's not that Jesus is starting a new religion. Yeah. Jesus is God and they came and, and ruined it, right? But they didn't ruin it because they actually showed the power that he actually was who he said he was yeah. by coming back on the third day. So some of this language of what we're talking about is throw and I get it, I guess I get it. Maybe it's just being young and you wanna you wanna raise a flag or something, but if you look at yourself and you look at the mirror yeah. I don't care that every other day there's a freaking protest out here. I don't even—it doesn't even phase me anymore. It's like white noise in this city. Sure. Somebody's protesting something every freaking week, you know, blocking a road or something like that. <laughs> like, what are you going to do about it? That's actually progressive, to use that word. That's actually going to move the needle, just a just a bit. Like, how can you start a conversation that will go to? Because caring like, people don't care. Well, I will, say this. I will say this. Not to be not to be that guy. But as you and I, as two white men on the West Coast of the United States in the 20th, 21st century, we have the convenience of not having to really deal with the whole protesting. Yeah, there's there's there you go. For us to protest. Exactly. We, we're, the, we're the ones being protested, and, we, and it's easier to just ignore it. And I will say this, like, you know, as being married to a woman of color who's very powerful, um, I've learned a lot of lessons about, about devaluing those things because she's like, it's not, she always kind of tells me it's not about, it's not about what you're affecting. It's about the souls of the people that are doing it. Right. And, and a lot of times it's, the protest isn't for can we move the needle as much as it isn't moving me. Yeah. So, and, and I, and, and it, yeah, you get to the like, Black Lives Matter and yeah. stuff like that, and there is some real, there's some real energy to it. Absolutely. But then you get in a thing like Ferguson where people just burnt down the, the city. Yeah. Like that's yeah. not helpful. Well, but I get it. it, I get it. Time, it's that's anger. That's what anger does. It is. It's pushing. You're talking about moving the needle. Sometimes that just doesn't look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But there, we have to admit, especially guys like us, you know, put Chuck in the conversation here. We have to admit <laughs> that there's parts of us that are always trying to seek the status, kind of the, the homeostasis where we're back in control. Yeah. You know what I mean? And part of giving, you know, those protests kind of. We just kind of look at it and go, hey, everything's fine. Well, it's like, you know, one of my professors said, she's like, a fish doesn't know it's wet. That's you. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. Because <laughs> she's like, yeah, you white man. Fish doesn't that. know it's wet. That's You're good. the fish. Yeah. So, but, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, point once I can know. It's, uh, the, the idea is can we, can we really change? And the truth is, like, I remember watching. What are we really changing? Exactly. I, know, I remember fit, watching. I guess is what I mean. remember the Occupy Wall Street stuff. I remember oh, I, was yeah, down, yeah. I was down at Pike Place once, and I remember this protest comes through. The Occupy Occupy protest comes through, and I'm watching it, and I'm going. I'm sitting with a friend, and I'm watching him go through. And I, I leaned over to my buddy, and I go, "Somewhere in that giant tall building over there, there's like a 
an executive with like a tear just running down his cheek. You know? <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, I know. I go. There is times where I just go, what are we, what are we doing? What are we, what are we really doing here? Because the revolution that has to happen is inside the human soul. It exactly. Now, now, if someone in that process is igniting within and this and it's driving what they're doing, then that's where the revolution is happening. It might not be happening in that executive in that building, but there might be somebody banging that drum who's just feeling something fire up inside of him where there's a purpose and, there, and there's injustice and he's acknowledging it for the first time. Right. And that is where it gets powerful. It's spreading the good news, but in a very different... Because yeah. I think that, you know, you use that word... Um, Christian mysticism, and I've been kind of studying that lately too. And I think I've always been that way. Not always, but since my recovery, I've always had an experiential faith, and it bugs me when other people don't. And maybe that's the Pharisee in me, right? Because I, I see, like, I want to see change. If, it, if it's not changing you, if, it's, if you're still angry, if you're still depressed, if you're still pissed off inside, or if you don't see the ebbs and flows of that... Um, what is it? It's not. It's not real. It's not real. Moving. I heard it put simply. If it's real, it can be experienced. It doesn't yeah. have to be believed in. It doesn't require belief. You know. And I think if anybody suffered like you have, it has to be experienced at some level. Or you get people that suffered a lot and they've rebounded out of it, and then and then they're still suffering internally, but they can control it with hardcore religion. I and mean, you got to websites like Triple X Church and the, the, the most religious people I've ever seen are just trolling all over that website, just just ripping people to shreds. It's, right. an, it's an amazing thing. And, and they all have a story about how I was, I remember one guy, I was set free by Jesus Christ. I was set free from sex addiction. And he, and he literally is just blasting. You're going to burn in hell and the oh, wow. judgment. And I'm just going, and he calls that freedom. Yeah. Cause he's not looking at porn anymore. And the devil's laughing all the way to the bank on that one, you know, because yeah. He's going, yeah it's, you know, I'll say you're free from porn. You just become a troll and go shatter people's, yeah, souls to shift you from one prison to another. Yeah, I mean we're fine with that. You can just go and and you know take one addiction and bring it to another addiction. I mean that's how church functions for a lot of people. Yeah. You got to go every week. I mean I've had people tell me, well, you don't go to church. I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, why not? That's dangerous. They use that word a lot. It's dangerous. It's da- what is it dangerous? You sound like an addict. Like I have to go. I'm not okay if I don't. Right. I'm not. I'm just not an addict. I can go where I need to go or where I want to go. And, and I can experience God in every waking breath if I choose to. Yeah. That's that's freedom. There's a difference between freedom and addiction. I'm not and saying everyone that goes to church is an addict. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it can very much function that way. That's some of that experiential faith, too, is uh, Romans 12, where Paul, he's unpacking what worship, the definition of worship, mm-hmm. is that our life is pouring out. Like he says, my, my life is a living sacrifice. He says it's pouring out. I mean, he uses the language of like a like dumping over a, a liquid onto something to fill a glass. Like mm-hmm. our lives are continually pouring out in time, and that's worship. It's not the music at church. Well, we go to the worship. Service. Was the worship was the worship service good today, South? <laughs> did they did they sing about Jesus? Did they sing about one hymn? Did they? No, it's because the the one worship leader that I don't like. She ran things today. Yeah, she always likes those songs that sound more Jewish. <laughs> you know. So we had one. Like I know that. we make. Fun. We had a lady like that in church growing up. I'm like, whenever she leads worship, it just it feels like. Jewish stuff, you know, like like it's all Hebrew music or something. And I'm going, I remember hearing my mom talking about that kind of stuff. What? <laughs> <laughs> and we make fun, but it's it's just um, I'm not trying to 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 um, disrespect, but it, it is it's funny because it's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. And and maybe that's just because we've got to that place. I wanted to read an email from a listener and he uh, gave me the the permission to read this aloud. Um, I'm going to call him Eddie. That's not his name, but Eddie is from South Africa. And this being the topic of um, rock bottom, I wanted to share this. Which we haven't done a great job of saying. No, we haven't. No, no, we haven't. This has been a smorgasbord. It's going to be heavily edited. It's just so it makes sense. Like, what were they talking about? (laughs) She'd be like, ah. Hi, Russ. Um, I've been addicted to porn for the last 12 years. I've stopped many times for months, and then I'll fall back into the cycle. My longest, I stopped for six... My longest I stopped is six months, and then 
I'll watch porn again, and then I'll stop again, but it won't be long before I fall again. It's been a struggle. I've realized when I drink too much, I land, get depressed. Um, the next morning, due to the feeling so bad, after I drink the purpose of the night, I'll tend to watch porn that next day. I struggle to get out of it. I've started to listen to your podcast this last year. This is my first time I decided to open up and send you this email. Do you have any advice for me, please? Uh, I asked him where he was from. He said he's in uh, the English-speaking part of Africa. I'll say that. So he's not, he's not an British American, which is great, yes. Uh, but I used to live in an English-speaking part of Africa. So. Oh, yeah? See that? Yeah. This... Uh, so this, this email has been repeated by a lot of people, and it's how a lot of folks right now are feeling. And I, I praised him for the fact that he shared that with me and that that's a milestone, like you let me into that space. And then he gave me the permission to let other listeners into that space. And he's already, just by me reading this, creating this ripple effect that's going out into the world. And uh, When did you get that? I got that the other day. Day so he's before well, yesterday. Should we assume that he, that Eddie, uh, quote unquote Eddie, is listening to us right now? Yeah, I, I told him that I'd be talking about. It. He says I'll be sure and be listening. So okay. Eddie is listening right now. Can I speak to Eddie? Yeah, man, that'd be great. Um, so, I, you know, it's funny because I, I want I want Eddie to to read my to book respond. really bad. I want to read my book really bad. Actually, <laughs> I'm curious. Is Eddie a Christian? Uh, that's a good question. That's a, that's a good question. It, it, it makes a big difference. Not not that one is better than the other, but there's a distinctive difference in how Christians experience porn. It seems, you know, and this our, our history of suppression and of sexuality and and our struggles to desire well. Um, but but Eddie, the the issue is is that it's not a pro the porn is not a problem. The attempt just kind of continually going. I can't look at this. I can't look at this. Yes, you can. And we have to understand that you are not one person. You are more than one person. There's a part of you that is doing, that wants it, loves it, is doing it because he believes that it's best for him. Right. And that is the one thing. There is a part of him that is literally drawing what he needs from it. Right. And then there's a part of you that's in a wrestling match with that part that's saying, this is, this is hurting us, this is doing damage. And then if there's a God involved in there that has a certain perspective on all of this, again, a God of our own construction, it's like we shape our gods and there are gods to shape us, right? Then that part is in a wrestling match with that, with that kind of space. And what, what has to happen first and foremost in every human being when they start to approach their addiction is there has to be a level where you accept those parts of you. Right. We stop judging them. We stop calling them evil. We stop saying they're bad. The part of you that wants pornography is not an evil thing. Yeah. Pornography itself is not an evil thing. It, it exists on for demand. We, we it exists because yeah. we created it. Well, right? Seth and I aren't out to shut down the porn industry. No, that's, that's silly, a right? silly argument. Yeah, it, it's a supply right. and demand concept, right? Yeah. There's a part of us that wants it and needs it and has to have it. And what we have to do is accept that that part of us is doing the best it can to survive, to get what it needs. And it's in a way, it's medicating itself on it. It's, it's just seeking medicine, and it's a very powerful drug. But, but the even more helpful way maybe to think of it is it, that, that porn is at some level parenting us. Right. So we understand that, like, I remember when my son, my son was born, and I was watching my wife breastfeed him one day. And I, and I was just had this revelation. And I just go, because you know, after porn addiction dropped, that was just the beginning of trying to deal with sexual issues, like going into the nature of sexuality, is our own repression. Our own, yeah, our, me too. Our, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it was just this ongoing thing. And, and it took us several years to get to the point where just everything exploded into this awesomeness. But, but I remember watching her, and I go, I go, is it? I go, when I come to you for sex, when, I, when I'm seeking you out like that, I go, does it feel like that? And I was pointing at my son, you know, seeking the boot. And she goes... And the light bulb just came on. She just goes, it's exactly like that. Uh -huh. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> she was like, no, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. The way he seeks it is how it feels like how you seek me. And, and she saw parts of herself, too, that always felt like any time I sought sex from her, I, she was being something that had been taken from her. Because right. that's the way her repression was kind of functioning. But, you know, for guys like Eddie... When, when we're talking about this desire, there is a part of us seeking the boob. <laughs> There's a part of us seeking to be parented. 
Yeah. You know, it's to be guys, one. Yeah, a lot of guys that I that are struggling, like the guys I know, are struggling with same sex attraction. They're like, I'm not. I know guys that are like, I am not gay, but for some reason, I find that really attractive. And I go, there's, there's a lot of guys that, yeah. Straight, yeah, I call it gay sex straight man. Yeah, it's, it's true. They, I don't know what what it is. It's easier, why, I think. Why just why just keep saying like every person is a is a mixture of masculine and feminine energies, and mm-hmm. and the way we are parented, it determines the balance of those things within us. And what we're often seeking, I think, in this sexual illicit material is a balance in those energies. We are seeking to be parented by our mother or by our father. You know? And I know that's very Freudian, but there's, some, there's real psychological basis for this. Oh, yeah. and, and in my own experience, I'm looking at it going, yeah, you see people just struggling where they're really high in that masculine energy, they're really low in that, you know, in that feminine or vice versa. You know, in this kind of situation, if we look at that and go, yeah, there's a part of me seeking to be parented by that. And that is not a crime. Right. There's a part, a wounded kid inside of us that is going, I need that. Uh, you know what I mean? And we, and we have to acknowledge that. And until we acknowledge it, accept it, and find peace with it in the sense that we go, well, I'm going to put grace over that and allow you to have that. Then, then once that happens and the guilt and the shame kind of clears up, then we can go, okay, now, how do I get this? How do I parent myself in a way? How do we heal that wound in a way that actually transforms it? So that we become whole, so that we are not babies seeking boobs anymore, and so we can't even relate to our own spouses or relationships that way. You know what I mean? I, right. I don't. My my wife is like, I didn't sign up to be married to a baby, baby seeking the baby <laughs> And I said to her, I didn't sign up to be married to a pouty teenager, right? Because that's the thing. She was treating me like she's a junior high girl, and I'm her daddy, and she's pissed at me. And so there was this thing in our relationship when we were like sitting back on, whoa, we just discovered a major piece of why we can't seem to function as a man and a woman in a healthy relationship. And we started trying to heal. We started, we didn't try, we did. We started healing those parts of us in ways that have just massively transformed our marriage and, and transformed us as parents. But it's, it's one of those things now, I mean, for guys like Eddie, I just go, that's the first step. Right. There has to be an acceptance. And if that means that you take, a next, you take a couple weeks and you just look at all the porn you want and you just have at it and have a good time with it and just go nuts, then so be it. If that's what needs to happen for you to recognize that, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna stop judging this part of me. I'm gonna stop demanding that that part of me be some perfect in some way. I'm not gonna do that to my child. Right. I'm gonna teach. I'm gonna parent. I'm gonna help. I'm gonna heal. I'm gonna guide. I have two toddlers. They're insane. Right. I heard you saying earlier. It's insane. And I'm not gonna sit around and act like every time that she loses her mind because I didn't let her have that cookie that she's some sort of crazy person. You know what I mean? Even though it looks that way. But I'm not going to judge that. I'm going to go, okay, you know, I'm going to try to help. I'm going to try the best I can to be patient and help her find peace with her desires. It's not your desire. It's not bad to want the cookie, but you just can't always have the cookie because your teeth are going to rot or something. <laughs> you know, but it's one of those things where we do that to ourselves. We do it to ourselves, man. The, the, you know, and that's poor, poor guy. When he, in the, the email, he's sitting there going, I always go back to it and then I drink and he's trying to do this kind of thing. I just want to go, dude, you just need to take your st- the brakes off of all that and just go, I'm going to let and be the watcher. Right. Let that part of you be okay. And there may be a religious component to that, or there may be a parent, mm-hmm. uh, a, a, a voice. For me, it's a voice in the head that comes from either my dad or even the church early on. It's or, or my abuser, yeah, it's a saying that I'm, yeah. I'm a piece of crap and I'm not going to measure up and you're just, you should just... You and know. we have to recognize that the gods that we create, our form of God, is almost always it's almost like transparencies it's an overlay of our parents yeah. and our abusers and our churches it draws those voices it draws yeah. that energy yeah and it all becomes a part of that god matrix that we have so when you look at god that's why everyone's translating and interpreting god so differently because it, you know i called it mom god you know because the voice of my mother and the voice of my god were kind of the same and right. they're almost inseparable at a lot of levels because it's going wow man this my god seems to function a lot like my parents did <laughs> like right. you know what i mean and, and that's for everybody that's how it works right. our abusers and our churches and our all this stuff and then every once in a while we we have even as children we can have these experiences of god outside of that that start to push us and guide us in different directions i remember my brothers saying that when my father died when i was 12 and when he died for me it was just this i've been abandoned by god and right. my brother started to experience a grace outside of relationship in the family and stuff that guided him into a much healthier space than I went. And, and, he, and it was a strange kind of thing for him. He was like, yeah, I, I just always knew God was there. And for me, that when God died, when dad, my dad died, God died. 
uh-huh. that God. You know, died. That yeah. God. I mean, it was, it, but it was this sense of I'm in a. I mean, it was and that always. was a trauma for you. You know, we, we yeah. kind of brazed over that too. Yeah, huge. And, and Eddie, huge. and a lot of us, we all go through some kind of trauma. Yeah. Um, I was also talking with a friend about this and and relational trauma like in psychological terms trauma like ptsd for example it used to be uh the the only time you would be diagnosed as ptsd was if you were in a war situation or if someone was going to kill you so if a rapist puts a gun to your head and rapes you and says i'm going to kill you that woman would have PTSD, but if he doesn't use a gun, she has no reason to have PTSD because he wasn't going to kill her, right? It's crazy, but that's how they would define it in the DSM. I mean, that's how they would do it. So learning these these new, not that everyone whose girlfriend breaks up with them when they're 16 goes into PTSD, but there's something to that relational trauma. I mean, there's songs written about it. Teenagers kill themselves over their identity and their value being tied up in another person. Sure. So we, we attach these, these traumas to well, the relationships. Traumas children. Yeah. I mean, you have, you have toddlers, you have kids. Like, yeah, when, yeah. There's times where they, where they look like they are enduring the most intense grief. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I just, you can't, again, you, just, you can't have the cookie. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, yeah. And we That's have right. to admit that there is something a part of the human nature that we endure this type of trauma through those years. Yeah. I mean, in those years, they say from zero to eight, those are the developmental years. Those are the years you are developing your identity. And those are the years where you're learning how to suppress emotion because eventually, dads, no matter how good you are, you just go, stop it. That's enough. <laughs> gonna, I use that angry. all the time. That right. is enough. And I watch my daughter just kind of bottle it up. And I'm like, ah, crap, there it goes. I'm going to deal with that when she's 22, you know? Right. And it's like, it's there, there because I can <laughs> see, uh, like, she's just, you know, learning when it's okay to feel and when dad's not okay with me feeling that. Because it's insane, but she's feeling it, and it's this explosive emotion. And so there's something built into the human condition, and I think this is what we call the human condition or the fallen nature, if you will. The affliction. Yeah, it's the part of us that experiences a separation within us. It's not a separation from God. It's a a separation inside our own consciousness because we begin to suppress emotion. We, We learn how to not feel. We let the survivor reptilian brain part of us run the show. And when that's, you know, because, I mean, most kids are just trying to figure out how to survive their world. They're just going, what makes me valuable? What makes me safe? And they're trying to answer that question all the time. I, I coach soccer with little kids. You get these seven, eight, nine-year-old kids playing premier soccer, and then the whole world's telling them they should be awesome at this. And they're just going, oh, my God, they're just trying to survive. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out what makes me safe, what makes me valuable. Obviously, if I kick this ball well, that makes I'm, me valuable. I'm crushing it. I'm so awesome. if I don't kick it well. I don't suck. Yeah. And, and so there's this thing where we're there, we're out, and then they come out of that with all, that is PTSD at a lot of levels. Wow. And many of us carry yeah. it again. We get back to every cell in your body is a billion years old. What do you carry in that? Yeah. What kind of cellular memory do you, you carrying with you? What kind of PTSD is in there? So your advice for Eddie then would be to feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually I have not ever said I'm going to admit this. I have not ever said to anybody, dude, I need I think you should buy my book. But Eddie, <laughs> you should buy my book. Right? <laughs> I, I've never actually said that. I figured it's going to find its way, right? But I think that that's the kind of thing he needs to do is he has to learn just some very basic practices taught in there. It's going, we're going we're gonna to clear out the brain and we're going to start trying to control this and we're going to start to feel the internal body. We want to locate inside of him where those parts that are asking for all that medication is. Right. And, and, and it's not that hard. It just takes, it's like training. It's like, it's like athletic training at some level where you just start a practice and then when you do it, you'll start to feel. And then what happens is your brain starts to get the message that it's not so necessary right. because the spirit's starting to do its thing. And then eventually you start to realize that most of your thought can come right out of your core. Most right. of the, that's where all the wisdom and the peace that passes understanding is. And so, we, But it takes practice to train that, which is why it's such a crime that, that meditative practices have been a lost art in the Christian realm for the most part since, you know, since the... You know, since the mystics, yeah. Yeah, since the last thousand years. I mean, there's people doing it, of course, but... But, you know, for some reason... We look at it, oh, that's Buddhist, or that's yoga, or that's you know, Hindi, or something. But it's really yeah. not. Like, it's no, just, it no. was... Christians did that. For I mean, some of these... Time. Yeah, they've been doing... Jesus everyone. did this. Jesus did this. A that's lot. right. He would go in, away, and what he was going to pray. Doing the desert for 40 days and 40 Yeah, nights, exactly. You know? I mean, we, Paul talks about being on the Lord's Day, being... He was in, in the third, caught up into the third heaven, right? Yeah. He was in the spirit, right? What do you think that is? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean... It's like a friend of mine, I have a buddy who's a psychic, and I was kind of bugging him about it the other day, 
because he was like, yeah, he does readings and stuff. I go, I go you know, because I'm skeptical. I'm a Christian. I still got that religious crap inside me. And I'm just like, I'm like, I go, dude, I don't, I go, I, what's the difference between what you're doing in like fortune telling? And he goes, right. he goes, it's a huge difference. He goes, he goes, all I'm doing is reading the energy. He goes, I can just see where the energy is dedicated. And I'm sitting there and going, okay. And he goes, what do you think prophecy is? And, I was, and he kind of called me out. I go, because he knows I'm a Christian. We talk about this stuff all the time. And he goes, what do you think prophecy is? I go, uh, that's a good question. He goes, you think these are t- they're telling the future? Are they, God is speaking to them? Or do you think that there's something actually happening internally inside that they can actually sense or feel or hear? Or, he goes, that's all it is. He goes, you just look, he goes, in spirit realm, there is no time. All right. So he goes, so what we're saying is, we, is that prophecy, and he was explaining to me in the terms of the Old Testament, he's like, there were just people that who had the ability to be still enough, be present enough, that time disappeared. And in that space, God speaks to us. And I was like, oh my God, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> like, that right. makes a lot of sense. You know? And yeah, that's the whole thing for guys like Eddie. That what's required is true spiritual experience. It has to be spiritual experience. I'm not talking about religious It experience. has to be experiential that you, f- you, you walk through it. It's, right. it's kind of like you were talking about the, the 23rd Psalm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I always I would chop that up, but the way you were talking about it was is cool because you put it in one floating experiential thing. That, that, so David is writing this song. That's another thing about music. Like I was I was criticized. I've been criticized for years for playing the kind of music that I play on the podcast. Some of it's dark, and some of it's it's metal, and some of it's nasty, and some of it's violent. Even Russ, he played a he played that Godsmack song. <laughs> That was that violent. He's saying things like, or the filter song. I played that song by Filter. Hey man, nice shot. That sounds dark. That's a dark song. Like I'm like, have you ever read the Psalms? Like I want to crush your children's heads with my boot. Like that's that's some freaking. I know metal songs that aren't that dark, right? The 88th Psalm ends with "Darkness is my only friend." Selah, right? I mean, that's that. But that's that's us feeling it. David felt it. He would go to those places, and it was okay for him to feel that way. Did he carry it out? Well, actually, he did in some, yeah. in some ways, but that was where he was at in his his place in his yeah. time. But this this is music. The songs are music. So, explain that, and that that would help Eddie and, and folks like him as well, because this is what we're when we when we speak of experiential faith, we're not talking about voodoo or or you know going to a fortune teller or something like that. We're talking about actually living it out. We're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Yea, though it's not just this. Yes, God brings me. He invites me to the still waters. He right. brings me along. He makes me wait. He right. makes me rest. Right. And then, right. right. Well, that's what Eddie has right now. Maybe Eddie doesn't recognize this, but Eddie has still waters right now. Green pastures, still waters. Right. He's he's there. It's, it's very still. Yeah, he's comfortable. It's, it's right drifty. Right Everything's yeah. there. It's under, under control. He hasn't experienced the valley of the shadow of death yet. But if you want the cup that runs over, which is on the other side, you have to go through that. It's a narrative arc that's, that's in that story. And, it's like a, and so the idea is, is the death of the things that he thinks has him okay, keeps him under control. Part of that is the guilt and the shame, letting that die, letting the God that won't allow, the, you know, the God that keeps that in, in place. That's why I say, just go look at all the porn you want. Because that is a way of putting that God to death. Yeah. Well, you don't get to run the show anymore. And because if we were ever going to come to this place where we we can experience resurrection, like real resurrection, death has to happen. You know what I mean? And that means you got to stop fooling yourself and think you got this under control. Yeah. And that doesn't mean just go confess it to a friend and get to a group. You don't. What you don't need is a religious approach to a twelve-step program where you go, if I just keep going and I call my accountability partner every time I'm tempted. Yeah. I do a step four again. Right, like, just get, you got them on speed dial. What, what it has to be is you have to let it die and go, the system that, I, that it seems to be at work inside of me doesn't work. Yeah. It's broken, and, it, and, and you have to come to that point where you almost at times can go, if it means that you have to stop and go, maybe God doesn't exist. Yeah. I remember when I came to that space, where I finally came to that place where I was like, whoa, and I realized, oh, yeah, the God that I believe in no longer does exist. And it was mo- a mournful space to me. Because that's very real. That's transformation. I mean, oh, dude. Right. And it was freaky weird because it feels like you're like a, a wall that I've been leaning up against my whole life just wasn't there anymore. And I went to lean and I was like, whoa. Right. <laughs> you just fall down, you know. And what he has to be able to do 
is be able to look at the walls that he's built and, re- and the ones he's leaning on and recognize that it's the walls that have to go. It's not the porn. The porn will go when it's time for it to go. Yeah. It That's like a Schick Shadel is a, is a company here in the Seattle area that treats alcoholics. And you reminded me that when you said that. Just go knock yourself out. Yeah. You, you're born, go for it. Because it, it doesn't, you know. Um, Schick, so here's what Schick Shadel does. I had a friend that went through it. I don't know if they still do this, but um, it's called immersion therapy, I believe. But they just basically take people and they go, okay, you're an alcoholic. You love booze? Yeah, I love booze. I'm really having a hard time staying away. Like, okay. So they lead them into this room, and it's a bar, and it's mirrors everywhere. And they go, knock yourself out. Everything's free. Drink to your heart's content. And they I do. Wondered what they do. That's what they do. It's just exactly <laughs> it's the same thing you're saying. Yeah. And so I think that's, and, and they have a crazy, crazy success rate. Yeah. And they do it fairly quickly. I mean, they, they you have to live there for two or three weeks, and you go through some intense counseling. Yeah. But that is the intensive. It's your the first thing. From what this guy told me, I don't know if I'm going to get sued for sharing their thing because they don't tell people that in the commercials. Yeah, I've never known that. Right? And I'm a huge fan of theirs because Steve Largent was their spokesman for years. So when yeah. I was a kid, I was like, I, yeah. every Six Shadow commercial, I'm like, yes, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> Steve. Same with, for me, it was the rock and roll guy from KJR. Oh, yeah. So I'm like Seattle radio, oh, yeah. you know, geek, right? What's his name? I forget his name, man. He's this old crusty. He's awesome. He yeah. goes, man, I used to do drugs with Led Zeppelin. I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, Alice Cooper, you know, shared a joint and did some acid and i'm yeah. like wow and he went through chick shadel and he's been clean for geez like 40 years now yeah. yeah wow man so so that's some of this but uh well eddie's eddie's gonna be okay eddie, the, the reality is if we have to recognize too is eddie doesn't really want healing yet eddie doesn't want change yet mm-hmm. eddie, you don't want it and i'm not saying there's some part of you that does yeah. there's a part of you that doesn't and you have to see that push there has to be a place where you you recognize oh there's a part of me that doesn't and actually wants to be in this cycle because in this cycle i feel like i got it under control right. and if we're willing to recognize that and then you can start to push and you can start to practice in a way that that wrestling match between those two parts of yourself is everything yeah. that's everything but we have to recognize there's a pushback it doesn't just give up ground so easily you know because yeah. there are parts of us that are very well trained to guard us against having to feel that pain and when i talked about entities when i talked about my story I, what i've come to understand after all these years is what what entities are are very well trained soldiers that are set inside of me to protect me from my pain all i don't right. see it as some evil creature that's torturing me i see it as something that actually is birth and i asked a friend of mine who's a kind of a spiritual father of mine and and he's an old old man up in alaska he, uh, he's a clinkett um kind of elder oh, yeah. and he said to me i said what you know what is that what are entities and he says oh entities will camp in your wounds he goes mm-hmm. and they create suffering he goes and they just keep us blind they create suffering they camp in your wounds and i was like well, that makes sense to me he goes so he goes yeah so you you heal the pain he goes they go and sometimes if you get them out it helps you heal the pain, you know. Because it's just energy. And he goes, and we create them. We create them in in our pain when we wound each other. We create them, and they take on this kind of consciousness and this function, this ability to actually help, kind of keep us from having to feel all of that. Because there's some part of Eddie that is is actually sees the pain that he's not feeling is a worse suffering than what he's experiencing now. So in a sense, he's choosing suffering over suffering. But the other suffering is just dwelling in is unco- unconscious. And so what we have to, that's why the Carl Jung fascinates, fascinates me so much because he's saying it's all this thing about how the unconscious world is dictating the action. It's running our lives and we're calling it fate. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're sitting around going, that's just the way I am. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's not, we are, our, that unconscious stuff is constantly playing out. We are just, a, our life is a stage for all that stuff. I've been using the words uh, grace consciousness a lot lately because I'll, I'll talk about grace with folks or a, a Christian guy or a Greg Al or whatever, and we, we get on the subject of grace. But the big question is, are you conscious of it? Like you can put it in a theological framework sure. in a math problem, but it, are you conscious of it? Because right. if you're conscious of it, that changes everything. Sure. Because that's where God's alive. And I think what we're talking about, and maybe we could end this talk on rock bottom is that uh, we're talking about smashing the idols, 
Yeah. You know, um, going back to Paul at Mars Hill, that, that whole conversation came out. We'll pull us back around, land the plane on Mars Hill a little yeah. bit, but not just that, but that whole book, you know, the book of Acts and where he, I mean, the apostle Paul makes such a transformational impact on that city that the idol makers become like, I'm an Uber and Lyft driver. The idol makers become like the yellow cab drivers, and they're just pissed because no one's using their right. service anymore. Right. That's what we want to see. Sure. That's what we want to see. Like yeah. the trip, we want to see Triple X Church go out of business because people don't need it anymore, right? Like, Not that the porn industry is ever going to go out of business, but that we would see it for what it is and that people that get locked up in it know that, you know, there is a God that's better than that, sure. a God that serves, a God that gives life, yeah. you know, that's it's taking this attitude and it's, it's attitudes of sexual integrity. It's taking that attitude of compulsive, all-consuming, sucking, zombie-like energy and turning it into creativity and driving it and getting in the hull of that ship and sending it in a direction instead of just leaving it adrift. God doesn't leave us adrift. We leave ourselves adrift. We're out there bashing the freaking rudder off our ship at the time. You know? Because some part of us believes that's what we need to do to survive. Yeah. That's the funny thing. Yes, there goes Seth Taylor. His book is called Feels Like Redemption. And you can find a link to that on ASI247.org, SethTaylor.com, or MyPilgrimage.com.org, all of that. So, if you want to look up Seth on there, you can do so. We may do a part two, because so much of this conversation was actually cut out, even though it's over an hour long. Um, But we got into some good stuff that I couldn't retrieve because of the mess-ups that I made in recording this at the Serve Seattle Chapel there. So, again, this is a, a plea for my listeners that if you enjoy this content and you would like to uh, give to the cause, again, ASI247.org. And listen, that's something I say in the podcast a lot. There is something to the act of generosity, the act of gratitude that links up with generosity, that has open hands, that want to give, that want to change, that want to see a difference made. And listen, This talk takes place in a place called Serve Seattle, which is part of the Urban's Missions Institute of the Union Gospel Mission in Seattle. These guys go out, they they help homeless people, they try and speak into the lives of folks, they work to see change in the city. They actually serve Seattle and their hearts get transformed in the progress. I love this mission that they are doing. ServeSeattle.org is the name of the organization. And listen, if you think I'm some slick shyster who is after your money, don't give to me. All right. I do believe in this working out generosity in, in relinquishing some of your, even, even a dollar, even $5. There's something to that. You're letting it loose in the world. This life energy thing that is your money. Give to serve Seattle, right? ServeSeattle.org to change our our wicked, sinful city. <laughs> it's, anyway, I love those guys. It's You'd be surprised, the stories of, of transformation. Um, I love Kyle down there. I thank Kyle for letting us uh, set up shop in the chapel there on Friday the 13th. You can look for a part two of this conversation. Um, on the other feed. And again, you can search for that uh, on iTunes, if you like, under porn addiction shortcuts, or again, on the website, ASI247.org. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys. I mean that sincerely. Till next time, I'll leave you with a, a tune from Beyonce's new album, Lemonade. And 
the the album it, it's you know i i don't usually like beyonce's music really right um but this album was created out of heartbreak and uh an affair and uh, so the, my wife and i watched the big video and um listened to the album and it's like there's some really good stuff in there art wise so I'll leave you with a bumper from from the album Lemonade. What happens when life gives you lemons? Exactly. That's the concept of the album and the uh, visual album. Until next time. Bye. I'm telling these tears going fall away, fall away. Oh, may the last one burn into flames. I meditate for practice. Channel 9 News tell me I'm moving backwards. Eight blacks left, deaf is around the corner.